Hello, and welcome to the Mental Perk Podcast, where we focus on real people, real issues, and real talk. I'm Carla Hutcherson, a licensed professional counselor. And I'm Brandy Mock, entrepreneur, author, and community leader. We are here to talk about all things mental health, whether it's daily stress, academic and work pressures, managing a diagnosis, or suicidal and self-harm behaviors. We want this to be a space of non-judgment, honest talk, and destigmatizing mental health issues. Most of all, we want to provide you the support and encouragement you need to win your everyday battles. Today, we want to welcome Brooke Castillo. She's a licensed professional counselor. Brooke worked at Children's Health back um, on the Spark team when I was there. So we worked together, and she's just an amazing person. Uh, she was a team lead with Spark, and she was also a clinical manager of the Spark and the Depression Clinic. Um, you know, one thing about Brooke is she had an upward trajectory of her career. She was really moving and grooving at Children's and really growing and developing as a person and as a career. And then she got the this news about her second born. Um, she was still pregnant with him at the time. Brooke, I'm going to let you tell me a little bit about that experience when you got some devastating news. Yeah. Um, so first off, thank you for having me today. Like Carla mentioned, I felt like my career was really going well and our family life was going well and we were all excited to have another baby boy joining us. It was March of 2020 um, when we had our anatomy scan for our second born. If you can think back to March of 2020, mm. that is right when the whole country shut down. You know, Dallas County had just gone on, gone into lockdown and the world was just turning upside down. That is when we had our anatomy scan. And because of COVID restrictions, I had to go by myself mm. to that appointment. To be honest, like... I was really excited about it. Like, even not having my husband there, I was still feeling good about it. I was excited to be there. Um, you know, that's typically a really exciting appointment when you get to see all the pictures of your baby. And we actually already knew um, the gender. We did the genetic screening ahead of time. So we, um, we already knew that, but we were still excited. And so, you know, I felt really good going into the appointment. And, and I honestly did not really have any worries or concerns um, but quickly in that appointment, I could tell something was wrong. Um, you know, the, um, yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> what is that person called? Um, the technician, the, yes, quickly in that appointment, um, the technician, um, was spending a lot of time focusing in the, in the heart area of, of the baby. And, of course, I'm looking at the screen, and I don't know what everything is, but I can tell that she's just spending a lot of time in one area. And so it was at that point that I can start, started feeling a little bit anxious. Um, and then when the tech said that they needed to step out of the room and go grab the doctor, at that point I knew something was wrong. Mm. I did not think about the severity of what I was about to hear, but Anytime they've got to bring the doctor in to take a look, you just know that something's not how it's supposed to be. And so my doctor came in, took a look, um, and that is when she shared the news with me that there was something wrong with my baby's heart. And I think in that moment, I, I just became numb, not really knowing. I can't imagine. No, that's just, I mean, you're just in shock at that point. Yes, um, and my doctor could not confirm the diagnosis, but she did get out a piece of paper and a pen, and, and she drew what she saw um, in that anatomy scan. And, and what she saw was that his right ventricle was 
you know, either very small or missing. Um, but that's all the information she could give me. Um, and then said, you know, we're going to refer you over to the children's hospital where they'll do a fetal echo. You'll meet with the cardiology team, get a formal diagnosis and, and treatment plan. And so um, that's kind of all I heard in that initial appointment with my doctor was something was wrong with my baby's heart. Um, I was alone in that appointment and, mm-hmm. and I, and I left. Um, and it probably started to sound like Charlie Brown teacher, yeah. right? Like it just yes. was this womp womp. It was just this noise in the background because you just got this huge shock. Yes. And, and with your experience in counseling and therapy, did the counselor kick in or was it just, I'm a human me mode kick in and you were just, I mean, just hearing you talk about the COVID, your husband couldn't be there. These are all celebrate, you know, moments you celebrate together and you're getting this news. I can't imagine you getting into the car and just not knowing this baby's growing inside you. You just got really a diagnosis of you don't know what yet. How do you call your husband and tell him this? Yeah. And, and that's what I did. I, I got out my phone and I called him and um, I don't think I even said a word and he just knew. Ugh. Like, he just knew something was wrong um, and I just started sobbing on the phone. He said, come home, let's talk about it. But yeah, I think I was just a human in that moment. Like, I don't think I was pulling out any of my counseling skills <laughs> that I'm trained to use. Yeah. Um, I felt numb. I felt in shock and, and really just unsure of what even was going on. Um, even hearing that they couldn't see the right ventricle and we're going to have to see the cardiology team. Um, we did see them three days later. Um, so it was a very quick turnaround. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yes. So it wasn't a lot of time just sitting at home, like an hour is a long time for you. I'm yes. sure but, you were part yeah. of the children's family and yeah. this is, they were taking care of you in this moment. Yes. We got in very quickly, um, which was a huge blessing again, given the state of the country at that time, yeah. like they weren't seeing a lot of patients yeah. in, the, in the hospital. Um, so we did get in soon. And, and I think going into that appointment, like I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. I knew we were going to hear hard news. Um, but I did not, again, did not really feel prepared for the severity of the news we were going to hear. Have you ever heard of CHD before then? I had not. So let's ta- let's tell them what it is. CHD is coronary heart disease, right? Well, congenital heart disease Con- okay. um, is, what, is what they call it, okay. um, CHD for short, given that it's a heart defect that a child is born with. Mm, so not okay. something you acquire later on in life, but you were born with this heart defect. And I was looking it up. There's like up to 15 different types of CHD, right? Can you tell us a little bit about Theos? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are so many different types. And and something that I've learned that you can have the exact same diagnosis as someone else and your trajectory can be very different. Um, So Theo is diagnosed with tricuspid atresia, hypoplastic right heart syndrome. Um, So what that means is his tricuspid valve did not develop during pregnancy, which resulted in his right ventricle not developing. Um, And so kind of to put in really simple terms, he he was born with half a heart. He is missing his right ventricle. Wow. So, and I was also looking and it's like one person of births will end up with a CHD, you know, and that's roughly about 40,000 kids a year. Yes. So they, you know, and what's crazy to me is like you asked, had I heard of CHD? And I had not, but it's the most common birth defect. And so what's mind blowing to me is, 
it's the most common birth defect, but most people don't know about it. You don't hear about it unless you know someone that has personally been affected by it. Yeah, and I was, you know, looking at the type that Theo had, and they, and when I was reading about this, it was um, they they categorized them as critical and non-critical, and you know that Theo has the critical version, and that yes. can have a lot of long-term issues, you know. Yes, and you know when we met with the cardiologist for the very first time with that fetal echo, that's what we heard. Um, this is a life-threatening disease. Um, there's no cure right now for it. There's scientists out there working hard to try to find that cure, but as of right now, 2023, there's no cure. Um, and that cardiologist, I think what was just really kind of set us back and, um, you know, really made me feel in shock in that appointment was, you know, I asked, what, is his fu- what does this mean for his future? Um, and she had to be real honest and say, we don't know. Mm-hmm. His future is unknown. The medical advancement has come such a long way for CHD, but, you know, it's still relatively new. So there's not people in their 70s, 80s living with his heart defect because they didn't have the treatment for it at that time. Correct. Um, And so there's not, you know, long-term data that they can share with families. We had to hear, like, we don't know what his future is going to be like. You know, we learned about... There's a three-stage operation process um, for kids with his diagnosis, and he's had his first two open-heart surgeries. He'll have another open-heart surgery this coming year. Um, But after that, you hope that that keeps his heart functioning for a very long time. But if not, then we're looking at a heart transplant. So walk us through the first surgery he had. Um, How old was he exactly? And... What was that surgery? What what was the reason for that surgery? To was it to keep him living? Was it to reset some things? What what was that like? Yeah. So um, his first heart surgery, to be honest, is probably like the most traumatizing oh. that we've experienced um, because you know Theo kind of surprised everyone. He continues to surprise <laughs> everyone. <laughs> we love that. A lot of spirit. I love that. <laughs> um, But, you know, after he was born, um, we spent time in the NICU, and then we spent time on the cardiology floor, Mm. um, and all the doctors, you know, know, observed and examined, and he had to have a heart cath done. But then after that, they said, you know what, I think he's actually, you know, in a really good place. We don't think he's going to need the first heart surgery that's in this three-stage series. Like, we think his heart's going to be healthy enough where y'all are going to go home, and you're going to come back when he's bigger between like four and six months and that's when he'll have his his next one um and so to hear that news I mean we were feeling so hopeful and 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 so good and so we actually went home um about three and a half weeks after him being born and just trying to you know I I can't can't I'm thinking are you just with is he with you 24 7 I mean it's like you got the baby monitors, but is that enough? Like, I mean, all I can't imagine. I mean, I'm thinking I'm, as a mother right now, and I'm going, I, I don't even. And then she's got a three year old or a yeah. two and a half year old at home. Yeah, right. he yeah. was. So all the joy two. of bringing yeah. home a newborn, of having a baby, was delayed. Obviously, you're in the hospital for three weeks with mm-hmm. Theo, and then coming home is a joyful moment. But for you and your husband, 
I can't imagine. Explain your thoughts. Explain your emotions as you brought him home that first time. Yeah, we um, were obviously thrilled about coming home, but also terrified at the same time. So he came home with a feeding tube, um, Mm. an NG tube that goes through your nose and, Mm -hmm. and down to your tummy. Um, and so we had to learn how to insert that before we could go home. And we had to learn, um, CPR, which thankfully working at children's prepared me (laughs) for, um, you know, they taught us those, those safety skills. Um, he had a pulse ox that he came home with Mm. to monitor his oxygen. Mm -hmm. So we had those safety measures in place. Um, but it was like, I mean, with a healthy baby, you're hypervigilant looking at your, your baby all the time. Um, and then with Thea, it was like amplified. Um, and then we how were, did you sleep? Did you? I bet y'all couldn't even sleep, right? I mean, did you just well. take? Did you just take turns sleeping so that someone was watching the baby all the time? Or, you know, this is exhausting. Yeah, we had him, you know, in his bassinet right next to me, and mm-hmm. with his pulse socks turned on, and you know, we didn't sleep well. Yeah. You know, going back to his first surgery, you know, we, we were at home, we were adjusting, we saw our cardiologist every single week, eyes on him, we, we were we were doing it. And then um, there was one morning, we had seen our cardiologist, I think maybe two days before this happened. And again, he was doing well, no, no big concerns, right? Um, but there was one morning that I woke up in a panic because his pulse ox is just beeping at, beeping at me oh. over and over again. And I look over, and his oxygen was incredibly low. Immediately turn on the lights, and I look at him, and he's blue, and he's sweating profusely everywhere and, you know, struggling with breathing. And so we immediately called 911. They got there super quickly, and we're rushing off to the hospital. And I know we'll talk more about siblings here um, (laughs) later, but, you know, his brother Noah was awake when this happened. Mm. And, you know, he's watching me carry Theo out and, and rush into the ambulance, and so... I can only imagine for a two-year-old what was going through his mind, all the questions oh, yeah. that he had. Got rushed to the emergency room. They stabilized him in the emergency room. Um, you know, they do an echo. His heart is looking like it should. And so doctors are over here just scratching their heads, like, what in the world is going on? What's making his oxygen drop like that? What's making him turn blue? We're not really getting answers. But he's stable, and so they um, put us up onto the cardiology floor just for further observation. Um, and I always say now, like, I truly think it was God's plan all along to make sure we were in the hospital oh, yeah. when we needed to be. Um, because that night when we were on the cardio- cardiology floor, I just knew something was wrong. Like, he just cried and cried and cried. And, you know, they always talk about a mother's instinct. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes yes. the doctors get so confused, but mm-hmm. the mothers are like, I'm trying to tell you there's something wrong yeah. with my kid. Yes. And it's like you just have to keep pushing because you can't get people to listen fast yeah, enough. Yeah, you're the only advocate, for yes. sure. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, becoming a heart mom has really had to teach me how to advocate for my children yes. and, yeah. and push and push and push until my voice is heard. And, and you know, I kept saying, like, something is wrong, something is wrong. And then the next morning... Um, we had our sweet nurse, Jordan, with us, um, who still to this day we're, we, we see in the clinic, and we just Aww. love her. And, you know, she also said, Brooke, I think something's wrong. Like, I think he's trying to tell us something. I think these are warning signs. And she pushed and pushed um, to share her concerns as well. Um, and the next thing we knew, Jordan was in the room with us when this happened, um, but he coded. And oh next gosh. thing we know, we've got the ICU team rushing into our hospital room, you know, as a mom, I'm just sitting there helpless. Um, again, I'm by myself because of COVID restrictions. My husband couldn't be there. 
Um, and in the meantime, my mom lives out of town and, you know, she's on her way to come to the house to try to be there for, for Noah so my husband can get to the hospital. But he gets rushed down to the, um, to the ICU. And um, by the time I gather my things and, and I get down there, um, I walk into the ICU room and, you know, it's, it's just horrifying. I mean, it's just filled with nurses and doctors and um, a doctor looks at me and says, we're going to have to intubate him mm-hmm. and kind of knew what that was, but I had never seen him intubated before. And so I didn't really know what that was going to be like. Um, and so as they start to intubate him, he crashes. And next thing I know, I'm watching CPR oh. be performed on him, um, which is scary in general to watch, but for to see it on an infant is just, mm-hmm. you know, again, horrifying. Um, and so CPR is being performed on him. And I think at that point, I can't tell you what I was doing or how I looked, but I do remember I, there was a nurse who just put her arms around me and started hugging me. And I know I'm harping on the COVID, but again, like that was a time when we were scared to touch anyone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> in 2020. So for a nurse to hug you. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that, that showed yeah. the human instinct, yeah. right? Yeah. Like forget all these safety protocols right, we have right. in place. This she, is life. She was a human in that mm-hmm. moment and, and she hugged me. And um, at that point, I think things were getting really scary. And so the doctor said, you know, mom, do you want to step out of the room? Um, and I must have said, yes, I can't tell you for sure, but <laughs> they... Um, you know, escorted me out of the room and um, went to a, a conference room. And I had the social worker there and the chaplain there just kind of sitting with me. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just, I think that was like the first moment, real moment I had where I thought like, I'm going to lose my baby. Like, you know, the, the thoughts of like, we're not, we're not taking him home started crossing my mind. Um, and I've had those thoughts many, many times yes, since then. Have. Thankfully, they were able to stabilize him. And um, the surgeon came in and said, we're going to do open heart surgery tomorrow morning. Oh, wow. Um, you know, it was considered an emergency surgery, not something they had planned for. Um, but it was the BT shunt. Um, and so that next morning, they took him back and um, he had the BT shunt placed. Um, so is this the BT shunt? Was that because they figured out why he crashed? Or was this a, we don't know what caused this. This is what we think it could be. Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. I think that it was the solution, the best solution at that time. He wasn't getting enough blood flow. um, And this was going to help get more blood flow um, to his heart, to his lungs, all of that. And so, um, yeah, they, they took them the next morning, and, um, you know, it's waiting hours and yeah. hours. The worst waiting ever. I mean, there's yes. no relaxing. It's just constant, just yeah. terror of what's going to come through those doors, right? Yes. You know, you just, you hate to say it, but, like, you just think the worst mm-hmm. in these I mean, moments. How can you not? You're 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 not prepared for for anything other than dreadful news. I mean, you found out when you're pregnant the situation, mm-hmm. all the unknowns, and then to see him code and them not know why he coded, and for you to kick in that motherly instinct, and then Jordan is that the nurse mm-hmm. Jordan to say, hey, I mean, this is to me all a very much so a God thing and, and for he- sure. And you know, Brooke, this is where I can relate because my daughter also had a life-threatening birth defect. And Mm so I just remember mine was way pre-COVID and we Mm -hmm. had a whole room full of family Mm -hmm. and you're alone. Mm -hmm. That's just horrifying. Yeah, it breaks my heart thinking, I mean, 
Yeah. yeah. My husband was able to be there the day of surgery. That's um, great. And I think 24 hours maybe after. I mean, they were real strict on on how many people could be at bedside. It was like surgery, maybe 24 hours before or after or like end of life. Like it was, yeah. you know, very strict, um, understandably, but in that, in that moment, you need your family. Yes. hundred percent. And that's yes. what I was thinking. I was thinking, how are y'all doing this? Like we had our parents there. We had lots of support. Mm-hmm. We had people from our church and it's just like, I can't imagine just the two of you sitting there and not knowing what's going to come through those doors. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was, it was incredibly scary. Um, surgery went well, thankfully. Um, you know, after surgery, we had lots of complications. Um, again, Theo just puzzles people. There were times (laughs) where the doctors are like, we don't know why this is happening, but it's happening. And, you know, something I've learned over these three years is Theo is in charge. And, you know, it's between Theo and God a lot of the time. You know, they've got their plan in place. I love your little message group. It's tough like Theo, right? And so I love that. And so, yeah, and he is. He's just full of toughness. He is a fighter for sure. And, you know, he's always been fighting. And we, um, after that first surgery, I think we, he was one month old when that happened, August, actually, of 2020, so um, just about three years ago, um, and we spent months in the hospital afterwards. Now, let's go yeah. through all that, because not only are you dealing with a sick child, but how is this affecting you financially? Like, you've got a husband that has to work. I'm sure you were, I, I'm, you might have been on maternity leave, mm-hmm. but all these things are playing in. You're having to readjust who's taking care of your, your other healthy child. And then you having to be at the hospital, your husband. I mean, how was the chaos around you? Was it, how'd you feel during that time? And did you even think about any of those things? Because, I mean, I can only imagine I'd be thinking just my child's health, but then everything else falls apart around you, right? So, but it can't. That's the whole thing. It can't fall apart, right? Because yeah. you have yes. this other child and you have to make sure someone's taking care of him. And he's getting passed from person to person yeah. to person. Mm-hmm. During <laughs> and, COVID. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that just has, it's, it's difficult. Yes. It, I mean, it was incredibly challenging. Um, I feel very blessed that my mom was mm-hmm. able to, um, she basically moved in with us for six months. Oh. Um, so, you know, she dropped everything and she moved in with us to take care of Noah. Um, he wasn't in school yet. And so it was just mm-hmm. kind of the two of them spending really good quality time together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel very blessed that she was able to do that. If she wasn't able to move in, I honestly don't know what we would have done. Yeah. Um, my husband had great paternity leave, thankfully, and just a job that is incredibly supportive. Um, still today, you know, if he's got, Theo has a doctor's appointment that Luis really wants to be at, you know, they support him in being able to go. And so him having a supportive job, um, also helped. Um, I was on maternity leave and, you know, the children's family was just incredible. Oh, like, bet. you yeah. know, I would have them visit. Carla visited yeah. in the ICU. <laughs> um, I would have people bring me coffee. I mean, it just, I felt love and support every day Good. being there. Um, I think in the back of my mind, I knew like, there's no way I'm going to make it back to work. But at that time I wasn't ready to let that go because we still didn't know, what the outcome was going to be once we finally made it home. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we, he had his second open heart surgery at four months old. Um, so small. I know. They're so tiny. At that. Yes. So small. Um, and I think it was after that surgery when I realized, like, I, I have to let go 
of my old self. Um, I'm not going to be able to go back to work. Um, I have a new role in life, and that is to be a medical mama to to Theo. (laughs) I love that term because that's exactly what it is. I do too. Yes, Um, because I think it was at that time that I realized, like, we are going to, you know, hopefully we'll make it home, um, but this is not going to be an easy road for us. Um, And so, you know, it was at that point that I had to share with my my team at Children's that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to to come back. And, again, they just were so loving about my decision. You know, I did not feel, you know, judged in any way. I think all of them were like, of course you're not coming back, Brooke. (laughs) Like, you need to be there for your family. Yeah, Yeah, a big adjustment for sure. One of the things I want to talk about is because we're talking about all the heart issues, but... What we do know is these kids who have CHD, they have multiple mm-hmm. other health care issues. It's not just about the heart. And like mm-hmm. 60% of them have multiple complicated medical needs. Can you talk a little bit? Because I know Theo has been part of that 60%. Yes. Um, and, you know, when I, when I think back to when we first learned about his diagnosis, you know, the doctor said, like, it's very common to have other... Um, complications or or issues that he may have to deal with but I truly was not like fully prepared for just how extensive that was going to be Um, it makes sense now the heart's a really big organ in your body and so it affects other parts of your body but um, you know he's had feeding issues since birth so I mentioned he had a feeding tube he got that as a newborn um, and he's had a feeding he still has a feeding tube in right now he has a g-tube um, thankfully, we're at the end, end stage of that where he's eating now by mouth and taking his medicine by mouth. But, you know, he's had a feeding tube from newborn to two and a half, almost three years old of being dependent on that. So lots of feeding issues. Um, we see GI. So he's had an extensive GI um, struggles, um, which also resulted in us, in us having to stay in the hospital for a very long time because he couldn't um, digest his food well. He couldn't keep things down, which then makes nutrition a concern. And how does your body grow if you can't keep food down? And so um, GI has been a big thing. Um, gosh, who else do we see? We see um, um, nephrology for his kidneys. kidneys. Yeah. Um, so he also has had some kidney disease, um, which has improved over the years. But um, that's been a concern, and of course, some of the medications for his heart kind of takes a beating on the kidneys. Uh, yeah. um, so something so, we keep monitoring on the kidneys and stuff is all these other organs that yeah. are just struggling to keep up. Is it because of the blood flow that's going through his heart that's not feeding to these other organs? Is that why they they feel like he's struggling in these other areas? And again, is that very common with his condition? Yes. Um, and and were you aware of it? When he got diagnosed, or did you start to see they really don't know the effects it's going to have, or is it you should expect this? I mean, did you know you should expect these issues? Not to the full extent. Okay. So, and I and I get, you know, doctors, every kid's different. Sure. And so I think, you know, when they explain things, it's, it's a possibility. It right. could be. We don't know for sure. Um, but I think when I heard that, I kind of just thought, well, that's a possibility, but I'm not going to expect that to happen when we've kind of all the things that were a possibility we've kind of experienced. And so it is very common. Um, So many of our heart families that we're close with, their kiddos struggle in the same way that Theo does. Um, 
so we knew about it, but not really to the full extent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it is a lack of blood flow to other organs. I mean, the GI tract takes a beating mm-hmm. because the blood flow isn't as, as good as it should be. Um, Theo is also very small for his age. Um, and so we see endocrinology for mm-hmm. that. They're just kind of monitoring to see if this is like a growth hormone concern or, um, you know, the, the doctor there explained to me, she said, you know, Brooke, when a kid is born with such complex medical needs, like their body is in survival mode yeah. for so long that like his body has been focused on staying alive, not so much about growing. Yeah. And so wow. let's give him time to keep growing and growing and, and letting his body grow on its own. Um, and, and that was really eye-opening to me to think about like, well, that makes sense. It like, does, doesn't it? You know, the body it is in really survival does. mode as an infant to stay alive and is not concerned about the other parts of just healthy yes. growth. Yeah. Um, what we can, what we get concerned with on a day-to-day basis, yours has all been turned upside down. Yeah, exactly. So normal is yeah. not normal for Theo. No. But the fact that he is a little fighter, like you're saying, <laughs> I, you know what? It's those teaching moments. They're teaching us something through their illness, which to me is amazing. And then what the doctor said to you, mm-hmm. you know, about just, you know, he's in fight mode. He doesn't know anything else. I mean, to me, I would have almost gotten a little sense of peace of knowing you know, I never thought of it that way. Well, they also get in this fight mode because so many things are being done to yeah. them. They're getting poked and prodded oh, and yeah. going through all these machines, and they just get tough and angry, yeah. right? I mean, it, it's it's um, it's amazing how many mm-hmm. people it takes to hold down a small child when they want to get off that table. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Yeah. We've heard, like, wow, he's really strong for being so little. <laughs> I'm like, like, I'm tired already. Yeah. I'm like, yes, he is. He's going to fight you tooth the nail because he doesn't like what you're doing right now. Um, and, you know, and that's something, too, that – it is so hard to watch your baby uh, have to endure painful things. Yes, I can't imagine. Um, you know, completely out of his control, and it is painful. You can't deny that it's painful, some of the things that they're experiencing. Um, and, gosh, up until last year, so he just turned three in July. Yeah, I would say, I yes. know, that is such a Sun milestone. Yes. I know. Huge milestone. <laughs> yeah. um, but I would say up until last year, um, you know, even walking into a doctor's office, he would lose it. Scream, cry, I would too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And He's so, like, what's going to happen? Yes. I mean, just terrified. Yeah. Um, that's so funny because my daughter, she was in and out of the hospital so many times, and she would not tolerate white, you know, because there's white sheets, people in white coats. So <laughs> She's like, this is a bad she sign. would throw fits. And Aww. so everyone who came in had to take their white coats off. They had to put green sheets on the bed. Even if we stayed at hotels, no white sheets. She would have. I mean, mm-hmm. she would have a meltdown if there was anything white. They remember. So, they do. It's, it's very you know. traumatizing, which is why I wanted to kind of talk about, because we, we are a mental health. Um, mm-hmm. Medical and mental health go hand in hand. And a lot of kids who have medical conditions also struggle with depression mm-hmm. anxiety. Mm-hmm. Have they talked to you a little bit about this? Have you seen Theo go through some of these things? Yeah, so they have talked about it. Um, at Children's, where our heart center is, um, they have a neurodevelopment team there, which is fantastic. And so starting at birth, they are already working with the kids on um, making sure their neurodevelopment needs are being addressed. And so Theo does um, yearly evaluations with the psychologist there. Um, she's looking at a variety of different things mm-hmm. um, and then makes a recommendation based on what his needs are and um you know, something he has struggled with is anxiety, um, that, and that medical trauma that he's experienced. Um, 
And so something we've been doing really this past year as he's kind of gotten more into the toddler stage of we do a lot of medical play with him at home. Yeah. He gets to be the doctor almost all of the time. (laughs) Um, He's like, I should be. Right. (laughs) Right. He wants to be in control, but we do um, lots of medical play with him. He'll take his little doctor kit to his appointments. Um, You know, I have a cute picture um, of his cardiologist. Um, He has a little baby doll he likes to carry around. And she's using her stethoscope on the baby doll first before him. And, you know, he's used his stethoscope on nurses and doctors. And so um, being able to have that sense of control has been incredibly helpful for his anxiety. Um, But we've also learned with him, you know, that need for control is so important and also just routine for him. You know, as simple as like when he wakes up, hey Theo we're going to change your diaper we're going to get dressed we're going to take your medicine we're going to eat breakfast so like he knows what's coming because um, he does not always adjust to quick changes well well. his little life since beginning he's had nothing but quick changes there's no preparation for it he you know going into wherever he's going you don't even know what's going to happen right so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like sometimes it's like he's just in panic mode I would think the anxiety I can't imagine what's yeah. your anxiety been like with well, that's all of just this just I was about to get to I mean because because all of this it was uh, were, the first things you were thinking about were I just got to save his life mm-hmm. you yes. were in mama bear mode you were mm-hmm. focused you were laser focused and now you're at home and things have settled down mm-hmm. let's talk about your mental health mm-hmm. yeah so um you're right when we were in the hospital we were in the hospital with him I think for about five six months total wow um and that time, I was just focused on his survival. Mm-hmm. Let's keep him alive. Let's get him home. Let's get him stable. Um, and our sweet social worker would come and meet with me almost every day. And she would ask me, how are you feeling, Brooke? You know, what are you experiencing? And, and I couldn't give her a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, she would say, like, I think you're in survival mode. You're focused on him. Mm-hmm. These feelings are going to come at some point. I want to make sure you're prepared for that. And, you know, I've got my counselor brain um, and the things that I've learned um, through my through my professional career. Um, and when I think about it, you know, so often I think counselors, we can think like, oh, they're, that, my patient's avoiding how they feel. Mm. They don't want to go there. They're avoiding. But I now realize through all of this that I don't think I was avoiding. I truly think I was in survival mm-hmm. mode where I really was not in a place to even notice how I was feeling those feelings yeah if they were present I could not notice them in that moment and do you you feel like that's a blessing in disguise that you didn't have all those emotions in a way now that you're able to reflect back yes and no um because I say that because in the hospital you just have so much support yeah you've got a social worker you've got a psychologist you've got chaplains I mean you've got nurses who become like family to you um and then when we came home and you know, finally made it home and we're settling into being at home, all my emotions did come. And and I quickly became just overwhelmed with emotion. Um, and then I didn't have as much support in place. You know, I had family, I had friends. Um, you know, I didn't have as much professional support as I did in, in the hospital. And, um, you know, I, I definitely became overwhelmed. I realized quickly um, once we came home that I was experiencing depression and anxiety. Um, And um, it was hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. It really was because I felt like I still had to be very strong Mm -hmm. for my family. Mm -hmm. And 
and you know I couldn't let myself just unravel because I I was home with my family and you know had two kids I had to take care of and we just had so many doctor's appointments at first when we came home I mean I felt like I we were just in a clinic every single day yeah um and so it, it was a struggle for sure um and, and that's when, you know, when I realized, like, I'm, I need help. Like, I'm not doing well myself. I'm not taking care of myself. I could just feel myself um, unraveling is, is when I sought out therapy for myself. You know, and I'm thinking about everything that you're talking about, your experience. And then I also think about Luis. And he had to go back to work. He had to support you guys financially because now you're a full-time caretaker. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just, you know, being able to try to keep things together for the family and be there that support for you. How did he manage through all that? You know, he's such a trooper. Like, mm. you know, he did have to go back to work. And I think he wanted to have a longer time away from work to be able to continue to support the family. And I think he recognized um, that I was struggling and I needed help, but he had to go back to work. Like financially, we needed him to be employed. We have our insurance through him. Um, And, you know, thankfully, um, he's been able to work from home almost full time. Um, And so he was physically in the home, which I think was really comforting for me. Just knowing like, oh, he's here if there is an emergency. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's been hard for him. He also sees a therapist now, um, because he's experienced his own, um, you know, struggles through all of this. And, um, that's like a whole other topic on, on heart dads because they truly need a lot of support. They don't have nearly the same level. We automatically (laughs) assume that fathers are the ones that take on all of the stress of the family and they do. They take on they a lot really of it. Do. They're mm-hmm. the soothers. They're the protectors. And just thinking what he's having, he can't, y'all can't fix the bait. You can't fix Theo. Right. Like, and we're fixers. Parents are fixers. And so I can't imagine that stress of just going, I just want to fix you, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm glad that he's taken yeah. that step to get the help because it's it's both ways. You Absolutely. Know? And y'all are big in the advocacy for the C. PhD. Mm-hmm. You know, y'all are working with the organizations and trying to be there to support other parents. And I think that's amazing, the connections that you guys are, are building. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about extreme emotional variants. I mean, you had to go from denial, you know, just shock, denial, sadness, anger, mm-hmm. this overwhelming grief. Where are you in that process now? Because you're still in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a good question. I feel like it's just a roller coaster ride. Like, we have moments where I feel pretty good. Like, oh, you know, things are things are going well. You know, I'm taking care of myself. Our family's going well. Um, and then there's times where I can, I can feel myself start to struggle again. And, you know, I talk to my own therapist weekly on, you know, there's no end to this, mm. right? Like, there's no cure for his heart defect. We're not going to get to a stage where you know, he's fixed and is a healthy boy. Like, this is lifelong for him. And so I think that's probably where I struggle the most of being mom and wanting to fix things Mm -hmm. and protect him. And and that's all out of my control. There's nothing I can do um, to make the outcome different for him. And so, um, you know, the unknown of his future um, medically, I think it's just really still hard for me. And, um, 
you know, I feel like I've grown tremendously as a human Mm -hmm. by having Theo in our life. You know, it's been the scariest um, experience I've ever experienced. Um, But also, I mean, he teaches us so much every single day. Like, you know, we really um, look at all the small things Mm -hmm. and really you know, take one day at a time and find meaning in the small things. I've had to learn how to just let go of expectations and just see Theo for who he is. Um, And he's going to do things on his own time. And that's okay. You know, he's just, he's a joy. Like, he's one, the cutest kid ever. But, (laughs) you know, he, you know, even during really, really hard moments, we'll be in the hospital um, and he's still smiling. And so it's just moments like that, that I think really help keep me going. um, And to see the, or to see Noah um, nurture his brother and and comfort him. And and Noah is very wise beyond his years, I think, for having Mm -hmm. um, experienced all of this. You know, he helps keep me going too. And it was good. We were to talk a little bit about that because I think the Noahs get kind of put in the background, mm-hmm. right? So I, you know, through my own experience, I didn't always get to pay attention to really know how my son was doing, right? Mm-hmm. Because he was watching all of these things. He was seeing his sister with all these tubes and it was very scary. So, you know, does Noah talk about this? How do y'all support him? Does he have someone that he works with to help understand uh, the processes that Theo's going through so he understands what's going on when Theo goes to these appointments? Yeah, so um, Noah was two when Theo was born, had just turned two. Um, he's five now. Um, and he's he does talk about it a little bit. Um, I definitely have picked up on that kids know far more than oh, we, yeah. we think they do. Um, and so we uh, were given this red heart pillow um, with an anatomical heart on it after Theo's first heart surgery. And um, I caught Noah one day um, all on his own. He was sitting on the floor with Theo and he was pointing at the heart to Theo saying, Theo, this is what a heart looks like inside your body. And this is the part right here that you weren't born with. And like, God didn't give you this piece of your heart. And that's why you have to see the doctor. And I thought, oh my gosh, like he really knows what's going on. Um, so we do have conversations. Um, I just have it mostly be on his t- and his timing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he will share that it can be scary at times. Um, he wishes Theo didn't have a boo boo on his heart, um, but he knows the doctors take care of him, and um, you know Theo or Noah can basically give medication through a G tube if you let him. Like he's <laughs> he's learned how to do that by watching. Um, So we do. We talk about it. Um, We have not um, had him see a therapist yet, although with Theo having another open heart surgery this next year, that's something we're going to start now with Noah to kind of get him that support in place, get Mm -hmm. him prepared for that, because that is going to be a big adjustment for him. Um, And one thing they have at hospitals, they have the child life specialist. And not only do they work with the patient, but they'll work with the siblings. Have they stepped in or has Noah been in that position to receive any of that kind of care? Yeah. So they, um, he has not yet um, because when Theo was in the hospital um, for so long in 2020, Noah was not able to visit again, because of COVID restrictions. And so um, he was never um, there. He's never seen Theo in the hospital Um, and so he hasn't worked directly with the child life specialist yet 
they provided us support as parents on this is what you can share with Noah or this is what you can do with him. Um, so indirectly they've supported, but they're fantastic. We call them miracle workers. Like mm-hmm. yes. here comes a child life team and you're like, oh, like yeah. everything's going to be good now. Um, you know, they got their pet therapy dogs. They're just wonderful. Um, so that'll be a service, of course, for Noah um, during this next surgery. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think for Noah, we really try on giving, being very intentional on giving him special time mm-hmm. um, with both of us as parents. Um, because you're right, so much when when Theo was born and we spent so so much time in the hospital, you know, Noah was kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not get to spend as much time with him. We did not um, get to do fun things with him. Um, he didn't get to go to preschool that year because it was too risky on getting sick and bringing it right. home and getting Theo sick. And so um, there is a, that period of time that, it, I mean, it's inevitable. Like I have that mom guilt of like, I wasn't there for Noah during that, that period of time. Um, but we try now to, to be as intentional as we can. But that's can. a whole new thinking about it. I mean, Theo's immunosuppressed, correct? So he's on mm-hmm. all of these medications to keep his heart functioning. So the worry of just bringing anything in, whether it's you, your husband, mm-hmm. you know, does that stress you out? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we talk a lot about the hypervigilance of, of mothers who have medical needs babies. You know, it's a, it's, you're very hypervigilant, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. I you mean, it, noticing everything. It constantly keeps me anxious. Um, you know, school starts this next mm-hmm. week, and I can already feel my anxiety rising because I know with Noah being in kinder, here comes germs mm-hmm. back in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping for Theo to start a Mother's Day out this this school year, and so exciting for him, yes, but also risky because he'll, he's going to be with other preschoolers. Um, so yeah, it definitely definitely keeps me anxious, definitely hyper vigilant to things. Um, it's been hard. It's gotten easier um, this past year, but I mean, it's been hard. We've had to miss out on a lot of things as a family because it was too risky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we missed family gatherings and holiday parties and birthdays and, you know, the things that we look forward to doing as a family. Um, we just had to make that tough call of, you know, Theo's health is far more important mm-hmm. than going to that birthday party. And so we're going to have to miss out. Yeah, those are tough decisions to make. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the role of faith. You brought that out. How, you know, some parents, when they go through something like this, they ask God why a lot, or, you know, they question faith, or it makes their faith stronger. Where are you guys standing in all that? Yeah, um, that's been a bit of a roller coaster ride as yeah. well. Um, I will be very honest, when we first learned, out, learned about Theo's diagnosis, I was incredibly angry with God. You know, why would I, you know, why would he give me a baby with a, a severe heart defect and, um, I think I've let go of asking the why a lot, but it still happens. I mean, there's plenty of times where it still pops in my head of, you know, why us, you know, or why does it happen in general? Like, why do kids, any kind of illness, why why are kids sick? Um, And so I think that's been hard. I think it's been, again, a roller coaster ride. There's times where I really can um, lean in on my faith, and, and that's carried me through. And then there's times where... I don't really want to lean in on that because yeah. I'm angry and, I, and it's disappointing and I just have questions. And, you know, I think um, that personally, I think, has been a challenge on, on that roller coaster ride. Um, but, you know, I think 
God has shown us over and over mm-hmm. again that he's in control and there's there's reasons why things have happened. Yeah. You know, I go back to his very first surgery and I shared, you know, I now realize like it was all in God's plan for us to go by ambulance to the hospital for him to stabilize and to be there um, when the when the true crisis happened because I think if we were home and he had coded I don't know if Theo would still be here yeah today exactly. but because we were already in the hospital you know so you see those little him. miracles that mm-hmm. most of the time we would overlook but you're seeing them yes and you know the heart community is a very strong community um, and I see miracles happen all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've met some incredible families that heard the horrible news of there's nothing else we can do. They're going to go home on hospice and their baby is alive and doing well. And, and there's no necessarily like medical answer for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's not things took a turn for the, for the good. And I think it's moments like that where you can't deny that there's something that there's, right. you know, a higher power that's, that's involved here. And so I try to remember that. And um, again, I'm just, I really try to just focus on day by day, the blessings that we have with Theo, you know. Well, he is definitely a heart warrior. And we are so glad that you had the courage to share your story. Um, I would like to give you a little plug if there's anything you would like to say about the heart community, anything you would like to plug or be able to tell the audience of how they can help support the heart community. Yeah, um, I would just share, you know, I did not know about congenital heart disease prior to learning about Theo's um, heart defect. And and I hear that often, that people just don't know about it. Um, And so, you know, becoming educated on CHD, um, and there's lots of great organizations out there that you can support. Um, There's researchers out there working very hard on trying to find a cure for um, single ventricle patients like Theo. Um, so there's ways that we can all get involved. Um, you know, their funding is needed for research. Um, we need to be talking about it more often. Um, now, anytime I have a friend or family member um, who is expecting, I always share with them, like, in your anatomy scan, make sure you're asking the questions yes. about all parts of the heart. Yeah. Um, if they say they just can't see it, say, I want to come back so you can look at it again, (laughs) you know, really advocate, um, because, you know, it's, it's a lifelong illness. Um, and I think just, we all need to just be talking about it Mm -hmm. more and, and educating each other on it and, and really pushing for the funding to find Absolutely. a cure. Yeah. If you are out there in the audience and you have a heart for heart warriors, please, please give to the CHD programs and the research for this um, debilitating disease and let's help save some children. Yes. Brooke, we are so impressed by yes. you and your family and we wish you all the very best. You are all very much heart warriors. Well, yes. thank you for having me today. If you or anyone you know is struggling with mental health issues, please reach out to talk to someone you trust. Get connected to a mental health professional who can help you find ways to cope and ultimately feel better. If you are having suicidal or self-harm thoughts or thoughts of hurting another person, please go to the nearest ER, call 911, or contact the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you for tuning in to Mental Perk. We hope our talk today highlighted real people working through real issues based on mental health. Our goal at Mental Perk is to make sure every one of you knows you're worthy. We're We're in in this together. together.